0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.
1: What do you do when you wake up and your partner is being levitated? Where do you turn if you have an alien abduction experience? Exactly
2: what is it that's doing the abducting? Hello and welcome to the 956th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WOON AM and FM radio here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, on YouTube and via TuneIn.com I'm Ben and those uplifting questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures and dad, Paul Matthew Moniz has been a scientist
1: for the last 30 years in the field of analytical, analytical chemistry Working in the past for environmental, commercial, contract, product testing, and the pharmaceutical laboratories, he is currently heading up an analytical, analytical department. Doesn't matter with me today. Uh, department in a cutting-edge biotech in the Greater Boston area. He is also the science advisor for a weekly radio show, uh, Spooky South Coast. Uh, I think it's probably the only show in New England that's older than us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last for the last 17 years and the audio-video manager for the UFO Monument Park and Pariween and Space TV. Matt is also one of the producers of 30-odd minutes and researcher and cameraman for the show. He's worked firsthand with the world's best in paranormal research, conducting scientific tests on materials connected to things like UFOs, alien abductions, crop circles, witchcraft, psychic phenomena, ghosts, cryptozoology, and a multitude of other related topics. His scientific work is featured in dozens of books pertaining to these fields, and he has appeared on a number of T V shows and documentaries about the paranormal over the years, like Monster Quest, Conversations with a Serial Killer and more. Favorite beer, Bass. There you go.
2: Yeah. That's the most unusual bio. <laughs> well, I think I think it fits I think it fits his, his character. So Matt Muniz, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. I
0: am very happy to return here.
2: Well, it's, hey, it's it's convenient that you live nearby as well. It's it's always fun to have someone in the studio. It adds a different energy to everything. So I guess you know, let's just just hop right into it. I guess so. Sure. Let's let's start talking about your own experience. Um, okay, what happened to you? And tell us about uh, your witness to it. Okay,
0: if you want to go to that particular case, I've been uh, actually an abductee since I was a young child, but. You know, as you get older, you get into relationships, and you you wind up, you know, living together with various partners, and uh, <clears> on <throat> one particular, uh, I'll call it abduction, I was being actually returned, and um, I was being floated, levitated above the bed, you know, as they brought me through, and for some reason or somehow, uh, the girl I was living with at the time wound up getting startled and woke up and saw me about a foot and a half above the bed. And then she looked beyond me and saw these two little figures standing on the other side of the bed moving me into position, at which point she freaked out immediately went from horizontal to standing on the bed, running in place, screaming, and I am, you know, levitated above the bed, and I'm immobile, but that jarred me out of the catatonic state I was in. I saw her, and I saw them on the other side of the bed, and they They, the little things freaked out they bumped into each other not knowing what to do you know because this apparently doesn't happen to them that often (laughs) and next thing I know the suspension field or whatever was used to keep me aloft stopped but I was still immobile so I fall about a foot and a half onto the bed and you know nature of a bed if you come from a height and you know you bounce Right. Yeah. well I bounced up and rotated 180 degrees headed face first to the floor mm. and I'm like oh my god this is going to hurt because I couldn't move and put my arms out to stop so you know nose first right into the carpet bang that brought me out of the immobility uh, mm. that I was in she is still standing on the bed screaming they're at the, the wall getting ready and they went right through the wall And I'm climbing up onto the bed, and she looks down at me, what was that? And I'm like, I forgot to tell you, I'm I'm an abductee. And she looked down at me and said, you're a what? (laughs) Yeah, I get taken by, you know, these little creatures, uh, you know. And at that point, one of them stuck their head back in the window. Uh and the this window was about twelve feet off the ground and they're Zola running and screaming in place again. It took me about an hour to peel her off the ceiling. You know, that's a metaphor. For right, that. yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: True. And um I sat her down and I tried to explain to her and at about you know, six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, uh, I called Bud Hopkins, who is who who I've been working with for years mm. and I gave uh uh, the phone to her and let her sp- speak to Bud for about half an hour and he tried to explain what happened. And a week and a half later she packed up and left.
1: I was going to say, it must have done wonders for your relationship. Yeah. And for those who don't know who Bud Hopkins uh, was, he was a uh, probably the, the leading abduction uh, ex- um, expert of yeah. the uh, mid-20th, mid to late 20th century. And he was... Um, Matter of fact, we met him in 2003. You were just a, a wee lad. I was like
2: nine or ten years old, yeah. so I, I didn't understand the gravity. Pardon the pun. Well, we were of speaking. The, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we were speaking at the. I, I see what you did there. We were speaking at the same conference in West Virginia, and um, we had a chance to sit down. And he had a photo album of stuff that marks you Mark yep. find on bodies of people who've been abducted. And I said, Bud, this is, this is half the stuff I see on the bodies of people who've been attacked by poltergeists. So whoa, you know, so we were going to work it, but that, then he, uh, he came down with cancer, and unfortunately, mm, yeah. we were, weren't able to do anything else. But uh, th- that's who Bud Hopkins was—amazing, amazing guy, very tall too.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, most people don't realize he was a victim of polio as yes. a child. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I actually yeah. didn't know that. No, no yeah. I knew
1: that oh. Peter told me.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. and uh, he he would walk with a limp and slightly. Um, Bent over and stuff like that. I do yeah, vaguely
2: was, remember that, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, very nice guy. Extremely talented artist. He was actually an artist. Mm. People don't realize that, you know, his field wasn't psychology, although he did study it and, you know, did go learn it after the fact. But he was mainly an artist. Mm. I mm. think it was his passion for... You know, the arts and things that gave him the compassion to look into people and what was going on. Mm. General curiosity about life and, you know, because most artists like like to understand what's going on in the world because they're trying to make representations of it.
2: Right, yeah. Yeah, because mm, so. yeah. it's how, how we order our reality. Well, yes. one, one of the four ways at yeah. least. So,
1: why you? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I bring up that to you ask that question. Maybe right? We'll,
0: yeah. Wh- wh- Even ourselves, that's the first thing that we do is, uh, why me? What is, what is so special about me?
1: Because you knew Bud Hopkins. Well, oh, no I'm oh, I, <laughs>
0: Well, I met him afterwards, but yeah. uh, a lot of the people that I've worked with in this subject, both people looking into it and people who have experienced it. Uh, I think the biggest thing is d- our own curiosity. A lot of abductees are curious by nature. Okay, so they're looking into things. They always want to know, how does this work? Why does that work? You know, who who is that? What do they do? You know, the general curiosity. Right, yeah. And just like anything that is curious, you're going to eventually find something else curious looking back.
2: Right. <clears throat> yeah, so. I, get, I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, so here's, here's an interesting interesting question I, I kind of came up with while, while you were describing your experience, which thank you for sharing with us, by no the way. Um, before you qualified, before you started speaking, um, we'll call it an objection, quote-unquote. Would you call it something different?
0: Uh, I'm using the modern terms only because it's a descriptor for an event. Mm. I mean, it's become what people ascribe to it. Yeah, I, I mean, I have no other words that I could really put to it. It's an experience. Mm. Everything we do in life is an experience. Is it, It's abduction in the sense that I didn't ask to go do that. Right,
2: yeah, it's against your will.
0: Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of people don't understand that there are <laughs> different forms of this. You have abduction, where it is a person that is forcibly taken against their will. Yeah. You have experiencers. Those are people that have no feeling either way, you know, I'm just going to go with the flow. You know, this is happening, I'm, you know. And then there are what are known as contactees. People that are willfully looking and doing the these interactions.
2: You know what's weird? I've never had anybody break those down before. I've, I've always heard the words used interchangeably. <laughs> well, <laughs>
0: most people use experiencer because right. you start off as an abductee and you're there involved. You're just try- going with the flow, trying to figure out what's going on. Mm. And usually the contactees are the people that have, unfortunately, there are people that, claim to be contactees that are actually suffering from certain medical conditions, that we'll say. Right. But there are other true contactees that are, you know, have learned to transcend uh, the fear and whatever and s- somehow make a positive interaction.
2: Mm. So would okay. you say that your your interactions were, were overall negative, neutral, positive? Oh,
1: I, I can't. The negative
0: part of it, is only mainly due to my own not understanding what's going on. You know, as I got older and got more involved, okay, I understand, I'm the lab rat. Okay, I understand my position in this now. Mm. Okay, before when you your child in this is occurring, it's unknown. So uh, anything unknown is generally frightening to people. So it's a negative experience because you don't understand.
2: Right. Yeah, no, I, no, that makes sense. Um, so, so as as a scientist, you know, you work you work in 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 the field of science. Yep. How have these experiences affected, you know, your your overall, maybe more than just your work. You know, how how has this affected your worldview? Interesting question.
0: Uh, as as a scientist, you know, science is a methodology, and Uh, I've seen a lot of it being changed today that uh, people don't understand they're making it a belief system. Mm. It has become the new church in a certain sense. And that's a bad thing, okay? Because, um, and I know you guys have had a religious uh, beginning. And religion is great on, on a whole, but unfortunately it can also be usurped in terms of power. Yeah, and control.
2: Yep.
0: And uh, uh, you know, because you can't question a church about this. And what did they and then you wind I up I question
1: everything in the seminary. And but but's point I'm not a priest. priest. You understand what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, yeah.
0: so you know, when you do that in science, science is all about questioning. When you can't question science anymore, then it's no longer
2: science. Right. No, that okay. makes sense. Yeah, I like that. Hmm. So would you, would you say that these these experiences have sort of aided in um, sort of questioning the narrative, right? Yeah. And um, being able to, I guess, it, I, I would I, I would guess you can correct me if I'm wrong. It, it would sort of help you think outside the box a bit. Yes. yes. Yeah. Is it. Yeah. Because it is. Yeah. You could know, step outside and say, well, you know, I've experienced X, Y, and well, Z.
0: Yeah. Because oh, this can't be possible because of this. Uh, the hell I can't. I've personally witnessed, you know, these kind of things. So I know that there is a uh, a thing beyond that we're not understanding yet. Mm. You know, there are no absolutes. There is only one absolute that I know of, and that absolute is called change.
2: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Okay. Everything changes. There are no absolutes. You know, the speed of light. Well, the speed of light that, that we've found does vary. You know, you put heavy gravitational things and, you know, uh, like a black hole will bend the speed of light and even prevent light from mm. moving yeah. and things like that. So it's not always constant. Right. So what what you think of as constant isn't really. Uh, so it's perspective. And uh, that's what I'm looking at from here. I'm always looking at things that can can be. There's no such thing as impossible. It, it's just time that it's going to take to make it possible.
2: No, that, that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I guess kind of stepping stepping back into your experience with all, all this being said, I one of one of the things that really stuck stuck out to me was um, besides the, the Keystone Cops sort of like nature of <laughs> of the <laughs> event. Um, the the interesting thing that that I I kind of took away from it was when you flipped and fell onto the floor it kind of broke whatever whatever was happening. Right. And 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 a part of me wonders if it if it was um, this is just me spitballing here so feel ahead. Feel, feel free to stop me. Um, it sounds almost like an induced sleep paralysis. Sort of maybe because it, it's like you know you, you were kind of aware of what was going on right. but you weren't able to move. And it's, it wasn't coming from you, but as soon as, you know, you hit the floor, something knocked you out of it. Would you say that that was something cognitive, or was there something mechanical involved, maybe both?
0: Yeah, I, I'm thinking, good question, May, m- maybe a mixture of both. Okay, we we know that we can induce what are called paralytics into people mm. that prevent, you know, that can be done either electrochemically, chemically, or uh, neurologically, okay? Now, the brain controls the rest of your body. If you can somehow control the nervous system, you can paralyze a person. And uh, sleep paralysis, because that was one of the things that's used to explain away abductions. And here, let me correct this for people now. Sleep paralysis has nothing to do with abductions. Because sleep paralysis is a vestibule remnant of when we used to live in trees and uh, it prevented sleeping animals from moving and falling out of the tree and, you know, mm. prevented you. So when you come, sleep paralysis only happens from a sleep-to-waking state
2: mm.
0: and and only lasts a matter of seconds. Whereas in a lot of abduction stories you hear, the people understand that there's something in their room. They're focusing around. They're moving, trying to track what's moving. Then they get paralyzed, Okay? The paralysis happens afterwards, not the other way around. Sleep paralysis only happens from a sleeping state to a waking state. So you wake up paralyzed. When, with abductions, your uh, good friend of mine, Linda who uh, who's featured in the book Witness, mm. one of the things she did, she saw the thing moving at the end of the bed. She grabbed one of the pillows and whipped it at it. And then at that point, <laughs> she got zapped and frozen and laid out a, in a paralytic state. So that rules out, by by definition, the, the way sleep paralysis works. And like I said, I went to a lot of professionals that deal with sleep paralysis and other people that suffer from it mm. just to compare notes. You know, uh, as a scientist, I'm going to look. You're going to give me something? Okay, let me look into that. And, you know... A lot of the a lot of the cards fit, but not the right order.
2: Right. Yeah, if that
0: makes sense.
2: Interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, we have a couple of questions from uh, <clears throat> our um, good friend Peter Shelley in uh, Bogota, Colombia. Also, a uh, guest co-host. I should mention too that Matt is the newest member of the stable of guest co-hosts for this show. Woo-hoo! And uh, welcome. <laughs> well, have him on uh, many times. So uh, Ben, if you would do the honors from uh, sure. Peter in Bogota.
2: Okie Uh Peter writes to us. Uh, Has anyone tried uh, simply setting up video cameras outside of the house of alleged abductees to try and catch a UFO in the act of taking someone? Uh, this would be like a police stakeout in cooperation with the abductee. Who uh, would suggest you know who would suggest the best times?
0: we've done this dozens and dozens and dozens of times and what happens is the same thing that happens when you set up trail cams for Bigfoot and things like that something happens to the cameras and I, I remember one case in particular that I helped even loan them some equipment they set it up when it came time for things to happen all the cameras Switched, switched off. Hmm. Now it's all right for one camera, you know, a battery going dead, and you, when you have four of them all going off at the same time, and then all coming back on a couple hours later, yeah. You know, and this isn't just happening once. This is happening on several attempts at investigation, not at just one location, but other other locations. There have been a handful of cases where one camera stayed on a little bit longer than the other, and there are a few, we'll call it grainy images of, of things. But um, the other thing that's interesting is they've had actual people stakeouts, not cameras, you know, people sitting outside the house watching for things to happen. And the people in the vehicle that was parked outside of the house, saw the lights happening and this and that go to use their electronics wouldn't work thing blinks out and whatever they try the camera again and all of a sudden it's working
2: Hmm.
1: see this is one thing that's always perplexed me (coughs) excuse me the um, UFOs (coughs) as a rule as far as I know anyway are bright, shiny like they want everybody to see them the Phoenix Lights, which I saw from an airplane,
0: mm-hmm.
1: actually, one time. Phoenix, Arizona. Things of that kind. And yet, everything goes black. And we, we've had similar things happen to us in other situations. You know, electronics go down, batteries drain, this kind of thing. I mean, what, what the hey is... You know, and as much as you, you can judge an alien agenda or apply our narrow paradigm to it, what's going on here? I mean, why are they, they want to, it's, I still think it's like they want people to see the craft, if that's what they are, or the objects, but the, the whole, I don't know, it, is, is it unintentional because of the, the, the uh, electromagnetic fields that are draining the equipment, or, or, or what? Well,
0: they're, they are using some sort of electromagnetic energy in order for their propulsion, whether it's Using it to cut the magnetic lines of force and gravity, and, which is the leading theory. Uh, and that will affect other electronics, as we know. You know, high amounts of electromagnetism is going to affect your phone. It's going to affect anything else electronic. Right. And uh, another thing that people don't hear about is, you know, it, they're not always lighted. On a number of occasions, uh, UFOs were seen above a person's house that was an abductee in complete darkness. Mm. The only way the person knew something was there, because it was blocking out the stars or the moon behind it, and they got a silhouette of it, you know, and you get a brief flash of light, you know, in a form of stealth mode type of thing. Usually, most abduction cases, that's, that's what you have, is the thing comes in blacked out, and... You know, and you you you'll get a flash of light when something is happening. You know, either leaving or coming or or something activating. But ninety nine percent of the time they're blacked out. Only on occasion when there's a reason for them to light up, and I can't say why because I'm not the one driving. know, <laughs> they 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 light up for whatever they need to do and then take off.
1: Now, unless Ben has a question here, I've got two you matt one sure. is um can you take us through this has been going on your whole life what, what uh, the first time you remember this happening was it similar to what you just described or was it different
0: uh no very first encounter i have was as a child about three years old three and a half uh going on for 1970 Out in a uh, town called Sagamore, Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. which is right on the Cape Cod Canal. Uh, Adams Street, to be exact, if anybody really wants to go look that up.
1: Actually, I know where it is.
0: Okay. (laughs) So, you know, know, the top of the hill would be where the... Christmas tree shop is. Oh, okay. Yeah, my house was down below. It was long before the Christmas Hmm. tree shop is. So it's basically right outside the gates of Otis Air Force Base. Right. Mm. Okay. Yep. So, (coughs) as a little kid, I was in my bedroom. um, I had my little matchbox cars or, you know, whatever, you know, little die-cast metal cars. You know, uh, and... I was playing with them on my bed, so I had my knees up, on the, with a sheet over me like this, creating a little ramp with my knees and my feet. You know, you put the car on top of the knees, let it roll down to your feet. You know, as a three-year-old would do. You know, playing around. My parents were in their bedroom with my uh, newborn sister, which was still sleeping in a bassinet, so I had the room to myself. You know, and I'm just playing with the cars. It was a It was a kind of a street light that was in the back of the house that lit the parking lot where the cars were. So I had enough light to play, and I didn't feel sleepy, so I'm just playing with the cars. All of a sudden, the light turned from a regular white light to this blue turquoise type of light coming in through the window, really bright. And I'm like, what's that? And the room filled with, like, this negative air pressure. Hmm you know, it felt like the room atmosphere changed so much so that my closet door at the end of the bed popped and creaked open you know, you know, it definitely was a change in ambient pressure in the room and that scared the hell out of me because I also felt a presence and I'm like what, is, what do you think any 3 year old kid is going to do? I
2: uh, probably
0: yeah right <laughs> Yeah. hit yeah. under the covers I pulled the covers over my head and, and it was just a sheet and I'm like holding it tight and I remember seeing a shadow through this sheet at the end of the bed and all of a sudden I felt this thing start to crawl up onto the bed one foot on one side of me one foot on the other as it's slowly walking up the length of my body And I'm getting ready to scream, and at that point, it put its hand on my face, and started looking for the, you know, the end of the sheet. My body just locked straight up, every toe, every finger locked straight up, and I went to scream for my parents, and the only thing I could get out was, "Ah!" you know, I couldn't scream. It finally found the back of the sheet, and it pulled it from behind my head and I'm face to face with this thing that uh, the best way I can describe it is like you' you're, you're great but everybody you know they when they do these Hollywood images and you know, you know how they make them all smooth and silvery no they're not smooth their skin is more like that of an elephant if you've ever seen an elephant up close hmm. very mottled and wrinkled this thing look old Really, really old, and the skin wasn't gray. It had dots and flecks of black, and little bits of gray. You ever? But it also had shades of pink and things. If you've ever seen a rainbow trout, how they're kind of imagine a wrinkled skin with that type of iridescence underneath it, and big you know the big black eyes and the nose. And I remember watching the nose. Which, um, you know how a seal has a nose where it can open and close? It breathed like that, in a small grimacing mouth that slowly articulated. And that was the last thing I remember. And that was conscious. That wasn't under hypnosis. or anything. That, that, that was one of my oldest memories.
1: It's like a chuggy movie, movie here. Uh, <clears throat> well, on that note, let's uh, take our mid-show break. Excuse me. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal. Then why don't you
2: do this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got it, Dad. Uh, You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, with our fascinating guest, Matt Moniz And uh, right here in New England's beautiful but hot Blackstone Valley, we'll be right back.
0: It's coming! The 2022 edition of the Holy Trinity Carnival at the Parish Grounds at Park Square in Woonsocket. Relive memories. Make new ones. Games of luck and skill. Classroom bingo. Great carnival food at Cuisine Ronaldo plus food trucks. Nightly entertainment. Rockwell amusements rides for the whole family with two one-price bracelet times on Wednesday night and Saturday afternoon. Take your chance at the huge Parish Split the Pot. Tickets on sale now at the Rectory. Start 6 p.m every night, plus a Saturday afternoon matinee. It's four nights and one great afternoon of summertime fun at the Holy Trinity Paris Carnival, Wednesday, July 27th through Saturday the 30th. Make your plans to be there.
1: And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal on WON AM and FM Radio out of Socket, Rhode Island. We have our amazing guest, Matt Moniz, with us today. And we have another question here from Peter in uh, Bogota, Colombia.
2: Yes and our, our our boy Peter writes to us uh do getting back to the the electronics issue yes yeah. uh how did bud Hopkins filter out um oh actually this is a this is a different this is different one um Paul what about when uh f- film movie cameras were being used uh eight and super eight somewhere uh so where did they wind up
1: yeah, some of them were were uh, wound well, up I'm gonna throw that over to matt that's
2: So they they were wound wound up rather than with, you know, digital effects.
1: Yeah, sort of pre-digital.
2: Right. So I I don't know, I'm not really sure about analog film, but uh, what say you?
0: Well, um, there have been several uh, analog film things that have recorded UFOs, but all of the modern uh, abduction cases, they were all using digital VHS, you know, things that ran on batteries. Very few uh, wound up film Uh, The only film stuff that I know of that was used with the stuff I was involved with was your typical 35-millimeter taking stills. Mm. Everything we tried to use was all VHS, Mm. or digitally related.
1: Well, Peter also asked, uh, how did Bud Hopkins filter out the mentally ill versus hoaxers?
0: Well, uh, Bud took a bunch of classes and learned a bunch of... uh, Mental health uh, training from uh, professionals. He would also have other mental health professionals with him in screening processes. If you, you know, s- some cases of you know mental health issues are very self-evident. You know, when you see the person and you start talking to them, you understand that you're dealing with somebody with an illness. Then when you get to other cases where it's a possibility, this person is, you know, an actual abductee. He would bring us in with other board-certified type of people that would ask us questions, or they would give Bud the questions to ask, and then would monitor the responses. Mm-hmm. So we did use mental health professionals to help screen out, as well as various questioning questionnaires. Okay.
1: Now, as far as. Uh getting back to your first experience w- with this very strange looking uh, creature did you encounter that creature <coughs> excuse me, again? Yes. did it attempt to communicate
0: yes. at that point? at that point no it did not attempt to communicate but later on in pre-teen years and then in teen years one's very much similar to it and that particular one that that initial encounter I ran into three other times from that time into when I got to be about a teenager. Then I started dealing with other similar types. I've seen like three or, yeah, three different types. They were like the initial one, just a little bigger. Uh, I ran into, in a process of moving from one place to another and what they're doing, seeing a thing that would best be described as insectoid or mantis type and then one of the last ones i ran into sitting at a console as i was being walked by would be something that could very easily pass for human in a crowd Hmm.
1: does this still happen today
0: uh yeah as a matter of six months ago i have a roommate that you know I've known ever since I was a kid and he's former ex you know, he's ex Mel, he spent twenty years in the army and things like that. Been in war and never had anything that really scared him other than the time he saw the light happening in my room and n- him knowing my <laughs> yeah, yeah, <right. laughs> my background is like I wasn't about to go in. Nuh-uh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, He's the one who would well, survive in a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: One of the things that strikes me about these narratives is that uh, the sincerity of the people who report them, and also the, uh, the, the the differences. It's like, at least the way I'm, I'm hearing them, they are just similar enough to one another yes. uh, to be credible. But th- but there are differences that, that kind of bother me. Now, I'm thinking, um, and I keep talking about this because this show has uh, profoundly affected uh, me, I think. Uh, it was from uh, June 26th, uh, show number 952, if you want to go uh, behind the paranormal and uh, the archives and, and listen to it or iTunes or any other places where these are stored. <clears throat> that was a show with Preston Dennett okay. and his new book, Symmetry. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, interviewing the subject of the book or was on with us with the subject of the book, Dolly. Uh, so uh, Saffron, that she pronounces and uh, her the, the book I took five solid pages of notes as I read this book and um, we didn't get to a lot of it in, in the interview however she tells the story much uh, like one might have heard from um, George Adamski in the 50s and 60s uh, one of the first UFO experiencers and you know, he uh, talks about being uh, zipped away on a UFO to other planets and all this sort of thing. And she essentially tells the same story in great detail. And started when she was 14 years old. Have you ever had anything like that happen? Now, now I'm observing I'm, I'm judgment on you know what she says, but this, this is one narrative that, that I'd like to compare with yours. Okay, um,
0: I've been taken to other places, nothing I would be able to say definitively was another planet or, or, or something I, I know that I was taken at in one type of vehicle if, if, if you want to look at it that way and brought to another location which was obviously much bigger and larger in scope and scale what, what came and got me made to interact with people and that, that's the other thing Especially with my particular case, I've, like I said, I had other people I've lived with that watch me get taken. I've met other people in the experiences wherever the hell we are. That's how I met the Starborn twins. That's actually how I met. Yeah, I was my going to
1: ask you how you. That's also more. how
0: I met my first wife. That's how Bud and I got introduced. Uh, uh, basically, I was a teenager at the time when this particular uh, event happened. I I was taken, I was brought into a a room, and the room I remember as being basically a football shape, you know, narrow at one end and narrow at the other end wider in the middle. Okay? And there was a uh, slight S type of pathway and there were all of these boxes, gray boxes, starting small at at the beginning of the um the pathway and building higher, and it gave me the illusion or the impression of an amphitheater or a theater type thing, because you the boxes were small, irregular, but they were square and shaped, and a varying height, and they built higher as they went towards the edge of the ceiling, and the ceiling was domed. Uh, it, and on the other end of the pathway, I, I think this was probably maybe about. 75 feet I mean 75 yards long three quarters of a fit football field in terms of size and I saw the doorway on the other side open up and a young teenage girl walked through the door being escorted by two other of these little guys and I was already sitting in the middle of the pathway looking at you know basically I was looking for a way out or what you know something I can use as a weapon or, you know, whatever, because I wasn't a willing participant whenever these things would happen. And uh, this girl comes walking into the other doorway, and she comes walking over to me and sits down on a box next to me. And we started talking like typical middle teen kids would do about school music, you know, what I like about this, what the hell's going on, who's this, you know. And we were just having a, a conversation, and they had dressed us in a particular type of outfit. She was dressed in the same thing I was, and without giving away details, uh, they had a particular type of property. And I was playing with her her suit, for lack of a better term, and she was playing with mine. You know, we were flirting with each other, you know, doing this and that, and. Um, we were there for about maybe 20 minutes, having full-blown conversations about things, talking about our schools, our parents, our music. You know, Like I said, typical thing a teenager would do. The door opened on the other end, and basically they motioned for her to, you know, time to go, come on. Me trying to be Mr. Bravado. I jumped in front of her, put her behind me, and took a defensive stance like you're going to have to get through me. And they very rarely contact or communicate, but I got the impression from them, if you don't let her go, the longer you're going to stay here. So at that point I realized I wanted to go. Chivalry be damned, I stepped aside and shoved her forward. (laughs) You got to (laughs) go. So she went out the door and the other door opened up. I walked back out the other door got brought back. Fast forward several years later, I'm sitting April Fool's Day, Bristol Community College, in a planetarium, which has roughly the same type of room situation set. If you've been in a planetarium, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, same kind of same kind of room setup. Mm. I'm sitting on one side. There's a the door on the other. Stanton Friedman's giving a lecture about UFOs, <laughs> and um, the door opens up on the opposite side. She walks in the door. I get up, walk right by Stanton as he's still lecturing and talking. And it was one of these, like, I, the rest of the world wasn't happening. It was just her. Mm. So I walked over to her. And she saw me. And she immediately dropped her her purse and uh, coat and whatever the, else she was carrying. And she comes walking up to me and she puts her arms on me and is like, you're real. And I'm like, so are you and we sat down and had a conversation and you know, about what you know everything. Wow. A couple of weeks later we started dating. A couple of weeks after that we moved in together and then got married and later on got divorced for human reasons,
1: but anyway. Holy uh, Marvel, what a what a saga. Right.
0: <laughs> But then but that was just the first person that I've actually met outside of that after meeting them. Then you know after the divorce, I was working as a sound man, yeah big surprise <laughs> <laughs> at a, at a um, biker bar run by the Hell's Angels. and I was the sound guy for the bands and this band was playing and all of a sudden these two girls walk in twins and now I had met them on board. You know, after I had already met my ex, and I remember that conversation. They saw me, and one of them, Audrey, came up, sat right on my lap. Hey, good to see you again. Da 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 da. And it's like oh, Audrey oh. and Debbie. Yeah, oh, and we know like, them. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, wow, it's deja vu all over again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, Jeez. <laughs> but yeah, and then later on, I had a girlfriend that saw me being re- so. I've been seen taken on board and returned. Uh, m- my. Second wife, second ex. Yeah, I have an issue with relationships, but <laughs> that's a whole other matter. That happen. Yeah, that's a whole nother matter. Um, after I had met Audrey and Debbie, and I had married this girl, although this girl was um, had to have an exorcism by Father Malachi. Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah,
0: yeah I really know how to pick.
1: You about 10 years <laughs> here to
0: do. Hey,
2: It's never boring.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but anyway, she she was witness to me being left outside. You know, in February, with the sliding door and the front door deadbolt locked, and I'm out there naked on the front porch banging, in Let February, me back in.
1: In New England?
0: Yeah, in February, yeah. Ooh, poor yeah, guy. Yeah, <laughs> it was not a fun experience. And waking up with clothes that are not mine or clothes on backwards and missing things and, yeah.
1: They they do make mistakes. Yeah,
0: Yeah, they do make mistakes, trust
1: me. So I've heard that people to whom this happens feel very, very alone until they find support. Now, how did you find support? And tell us about Starbucks?
0: Okay, I first found support by um, working with Bud because I wanted to know what was going on. Uh, My ex and I were trying to figure out what was going on. We started, you know, I was already looking at various books and stuff, so I got a hold of Bud through one of his books. And we just started working together. And what was interesting is Bud was starting at that time, back in early 1990, when the, when we were dealing with this 91, somewhere in the early 90s. He's like, I'm starting to run a whole run across a whole bunch of these types of cases. So he had my ex and I head up doing the interviews and helping all of these other people that had these type of interactions. And so he, he would get a case where these people know each other through experience. He would hand them over to us, and we would help them adjust. And then later on, I helped form Starborn Support with Audrey and Debbie, you know, because they wanted I, – I introduced them with Bud. They finally got accustomed, in the, and then it's like, we should start something for our own. And that's how Starborn Support got started. So we were able to help, and we still do help, abductees around the world.
1: How many people are in it?
0: Currently, it keeps growing, but it's literally hundreds and hundreds.
1: Wow. Now, one of the things that, uh, well, one of the reasons I was recruited into the uh, MUFON's uh, experience of resource team uh, was because of crossover phenomena. Yeah. Things that, you know, for example, uh, Kathy Martin would call me and say, we got a case where somebody's been abducted, but well, there's poltergeist activity going on in their house, or demonic activity, as they they would call it. <clears throat> so, um, we're running into some interesting stuff, and uh, there seems to be a realization now that, that there are crossover phenomena, that UFOs can be related to, quote unquote, ghostly phenomena, cryptids, things of this kind. Yep. What say you on that? Have you ever had crossover? It's all phenomena? related. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, in my
0: opinion, it's yeah. all related. I think it's dealing with a, a form of physics that we don't yet understand. Now, ETs or what have you, inter-dimensionals, extra-dimensionals or what have you, may be able to utilize this. Now, as you know, I've been a ghost hunter as well for yeah, yeah. many many decades. And I've dealt Renaissance
1: with... Renaissance man. Well,
0: I'm the very model of a modern midget. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've noticed that there are certain key points that will cross over uh, one of the one of the things that you and I can uh, definitely agree on is the mental connection things where in demonic cases you're hearing the voices same thing with et you're hearing the voice of this and uh, another thing that people don't understand bigfoot phenomena the thing that's known as mind speak, Bigfoot using mind speak with people. Then there's the other feelings that you get, you know, of something going on. Your your nervous system is designed specifically for electronic impulses. Now, are these impulses being acted upon by these outside forces, whether it be demonic or spiritual? Is it being acted upon by some sort of you know, ET thing playing with knobs and uh, and levers or whatever they do to control, and is this being affected by Bigfoot that's using infrasound to affect your your nervous system? Because in a lot of cases with Bigfoot, you know, people feel paralyzed. Oh, here's that paralyzation thing again.
2: Full mm, yeah, circle.
0: Yeah, you got where I'm going. So so all of this does have an interrelation. I'm not saying that Bigfoot is an ET or is a demon or you know or neither is an alien. A
1: well, these are all our terms that we right exactly.
0: Yeah, it's a label we put on something that we don't understand because we don't like things we that we can't understand, so we have to put it in a box.
1: We pretend to understand.
0: Yes. Well, we understand it because we put a label on
1: it.
2: That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very modern thing to do is just yeah, you know, let's just pop, pop a label on it. Boom, done. Explained. All right, next, next problem we have to solve, Sorry. and it's um, you know, it's 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 really fascinating to to sort of compare all these experiences, and it's I, I appreciate your your experiences. I, th- I think this adds a different sort of dimension, pardon the pun, to um, to sort of. How how we interact with these outside forces, and it's it's so interesting because um, I I I was uh, I was recently at a lecture on um, the sort of like sci- science science and, and, and religion, and how how they sort of intermingle, and it was it was really interesting to hear because a lot of moderns we we all, we all do this we're all we're all essentially f- functionally atheists, right? So it's like some stuff is, is is spiritual and some stuff is like, ah, oh, well, science science can explain it, and uh, maybe not so much the case for you, Matt, because you're you're already you're already a scientist. You under, you sort of get it. You have a, you have a different field, different different sort of worldview. But for for those those who who are not in that field, there's sort of like, well, you know, a miracle happens to you know my dad, but if it's some other guy across you know the seas, it's like, well, you know, it's a natural phenomenon. Who cares, right? And we can we can explain that with this, and but the two are very different. There's no there's no there's no relation between the two experiences. And I'm I'm gonna wrap wrap this up so I can get your get your, your sort of last few takes on this because we're you know, we're coming down coming down to the wire here. Yeah. Um, the modern worldview, I think, has has been been beaten up a lot by <laughs> by by a lot of different philosophical viewpoints, mostly nihilism um a a sort of Hegelian worldview of uh let's take sort of the mystical and just shove it into our realm and then just completely flatten it so it's just like it's just it's just nothing it's just a part of our our very physical modern world and there's you know, there's nothing outside of it and then when we're presented with these sort of extra events right something outside of this two-dimensional world view you know we either dismiss it or it's something that we can't quite that that we can't quite, you know, explain with the terms that we have, so we do our best to to take these terms and make up new terms and then we just throw out everything. So we're at a point in our in our our world where we've thrown out everything and all we kinda have is you know, not not much, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what what do we, what do we have left? Okay.
0: You're talking about Let me do it this way. What do you see?
1: Uh, Okay, well, for those not watching on video... uh,
0: (laughs) On a piece of paper, I've written a a a number. Mm. What do you see? (laughs) I know this this meme. It's uh, (laughs) it's a nine. Right. It's all about the perspective. Mm. This is your miracle, as he's seeing it as a six. This is your scientific explanation, viewing it as a nine. Mm. The event... Is what's here on the paper. Then here's I mean, the final question.
2: Okay. If if it's all based on perception, because I, I do agree, you know, there's an objective reality, and we're all we all have subjective experiences of that objective reality. With this perception, is there a way that we can all meet? Compromise. Hmm.
0: Uh, well, that's how. That's one thing about society lately that we've lost. We've all gotten ourselves into our little encampments and our trench, and we're lobbing things over at at the other guy. Okay? You know, I'm in this camp. You you know, we, we do it with our politics. We do it with our religion and in science. And here's something that most people may not understand. Science is a belief system. It is not necessarily rigid per se. The methodology you use can be more rigid, but at the at the we believe we understand right now what's going on. It's always supposed to be changing because we're always supposed to be learning more. Right. So belief puts people in camps. Compromise comes from when you're sharing the information about the beliefs.
1: Mm. Okay. okay. Yeah. Very sensible. Yeah. Is there a book anywhere in your future?
0: I am currently in the process of Starting one, yeah, and it's going to be on haunted Masonic Lodges in the southern New England. Well that's area.
1: a start. Yeah. Where can people find out more about you?
0: Uh spooky South Coast. Okay. Obviously. Um you can I was you know. the
1: second guest on that show. Tim Weisberg yeah. has always reminded me of that, yeah.
0: And um you can find uh I'm I'm gonna be uh, Tom Reed's co host, Inner Space TV. I also help out uh, UFO Man on yep. um, uh, YouTube. Uh, I've been in a number of different books by Bud Hawkins, and uh, you know all the local authors about anything oh, haunted. Yeah. I'm more than likely in their books. Well, you're a
1: local guy, as yeah, opposed so. to most of our guests, yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah,
1: Outstanding. Okay,
2: Ben, I guess we're ready for our announcements. Indeed. Good for our and we were we were just talking about this before the show, but the Exeter UFO Festival returns in September at the historic Exeter New Hampshire Town Hall over the Labor Day weekend. September 3rd and 4th, uh, this is a great event. The whole town gets involved. It's sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities. Along with ourselves, speakers will include Kathleen Martin, Peter Robbins, Jennifer Stein, Bob Terrio, Mike Stevens, Lynn Nickerson, Valerie LaFasso, and Mac Maloney, among many others. The subject, the subject of our talk is time storms, with thanks to the great British researcher Jenny Randles, who coined the term. Uh, we plan to do our traditional live broadcast from the event on Sunday with a panel of the speakers. This is a really fun event, so if you can join us, you can visit... ExeterUFOFestival.org for more details. And we should add that Matt will be there as well. Yep. Uh, making sure people can hear everything, including <laughs> our show. And uh, helping uh, us out sort of and the, the really de facto AV that. guy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah that's right. Pretty yeah. much every one of these
0: conferencings I go to, I'm the one that winds up setting up the <laughs> AV to system.
1: to <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 1,100 hours. Of our regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WOONAM and FM, including uh, those that have been restored in the archives. And you can hear many of those also on the major podcast uh, apps, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. So download our show app. We actually have an app. It's free. It doesn't do much, but it's free, and you can get the uh, information uh, and the links to all the shows as they are posted. Uh, along with um, well that's about you That's about all you can do with the app but it's free
2: hey what do you want what do you want for free um you can also check out our show website. That has a bunch of charities that we have uh, on our, our charity page. There's uh, several good causes that we've adopted over the years, including Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, Sisterhood of Ground Zero, and most recently, the Western Kentucky Tornado Relief Fund.
1: So what's the Elf on the Shelf for next week, then?
2: Well, sitting there waiting for us on July 31st, we'll welcome uh, James Keenan, of the History Channel's The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch to talk about the mother of all flap area cases.
1: All right, we'll leave you today with a thought from 19th century French priest and poet Joseph Roux: Evil often triumphs, but never conquers. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno.
2: And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal.